Well, this is Nicole Kraft, and I'd like to welcome you to episode one of Higher Ed Tech. Kicking off our podcast, we are going to start talking about hybrid courses, and I, I say that a little bit um, reluctantly because I know that we have some debate even in our room here as to what is a hybrid course and what is blended learning, how does it relate to other terms that we're all familiar with. So we're going to really start off with a with a real life situation because this is a situation that I'm in as a faculty member. I've been asked to uh, teach a hybrid course, and um, I think a lot of us who are faced with that um, situation don't know exactly what's expected of us and and what does that mean and is our definition of hybrid in quotes the same as students' definition of that, um, the same as our administration. So what we're going to explore in this podcast is what we mean by that term hybrid, what it it looks like, what its intentions are, and how we can make sure that it's the best possible experience for students um, as we move forward into this kind of brave new world of education and technology. So I'm going to just throw out to my my fellow uh, podcasters here, uh, specifically I'm going to look at Byron Rausch right now and say, Byron, what is a hybrid course in your view? And I know you like to call it blended learning. Yeah, so I I use the term blended, I think, um, because of you know, it, it makes me feel like it's more intentional. So a hybrid and botany would be like kind of a plant you stick to each other and you get this weird Franken plant. And, a, you know, blended would be more like a smoothie where all of the parts are kind of integrated in this nice, drinkable, delicious mixture. Uh, so when I think about a blended course, and that's something that is big at, you know, our university for sure, but also big elsewhere. But when I think about a blended course, I think about the parts that you can do best online, the parts that you can do best in person and really kind of be intentional about what you do when. So lecture, lecture works pretty well online. You can record it, you can get it to students ahead of time, um, but a kind of a real discussion or group work maybe is easier to do in class. And when I think about that, I also think about some reduction in seat time. Um, so not just a normal class or not an online class or a class and a half is a real issue that a lot of faculty have, but you know, think about the number of hours you need to spend in class, and maybe you put 30 minutes of lecture online in the week, um, but you need to cut that real time down as well. Well, Corey, I was hoping maybe you could help me. You and I have worked together quite a bit um, as it relates to flipped classrooms, and and I've, as you know, flipped all of my classes using iTunes U and uh, using iPads, and so I think I'm struggling a little bit with what the difference is. So how do I know what makes something a blended class in Byron's terms versus just simply teaching in the flip model, which allows me to provide them with their lectures at home so that we do the work in the class time, but we are meeting for the full amount of class time as opposed to some of the modifications that Byron's talking about. Yep, and I, and I love Byron's definition. I think he really nailed it in, in how taking the best parts of each thing and putting it together in sort of a blended or hybrid or whatever you want to call it. It doesn't really necessarily matter, yet it does at the same time. So, but I think to your question about flipped is flipped in concept was taking homework assignments as far as let's say a math class and working problems. You traditionally have a worksheet, you take it home and you work these math problems. And flipped concept really is saying, okay, no, Because when students get stuck on their homework, they have no one to ask about. So let's take the homework and working the problems and put it back into the classroom. And let's take the lecture portion or where something that's a little bit more easily consumed. Like in English, they've been flipping the class forever because you read the book and then you come to class and you discuss it. But in math, let's say you listen to the lecture from these wonderful mathematicians or whoever it may be. 
and then you watch that online, but then you still come to class and you work all the problems. I think Byron's definition was really good because he talked about seat time. In a flipped classroom environment, I don't believe the seat time, the physical environment time is changed as far as the actual minutes or hours you're in the classroom. Where in a blended or a hybrid approach, I think it does. I think it dramatically does. That you take those best components and say, okay, the lectures are best filled online, so we don't need that 45 minutes a week physically in a physical space. That can go online, so they don't have to come Tuesday or whatever the case may be. But Wednesday or Thursday when we had recitations, they still need to come to that. And that's where we get to higher level thinking, working in group projects or working specific problems together or whatever the case may be, depending on the academic area. So I personally view the definition as flipped is keeping the time space relatively the same. And blended is not that it's saying, OK, we could do this in a quarter of the actual physical seat time, possibly. But let's take the good components that can be done or the components that can be done well online and do them online and let's get the meaningful parts that need to be done face-to-face -face, like a lab or discussions or whatever that are, are going to be useful and do that physically in a face. Now, what's also interesting in this dynamic as we're talking about seat time and, and all this is there are equations for all of that mm -hmm. in that the seat time ultimately in the land of the registrar and all of those fun official university terms and accreditation, all these good things is the same, but it's not really that you need to look at it. And maybe in a blended class, you have the lectures online and maybe some of the project and online or assignment work is done online as well, but you still have meetings. It's just reduced. But in a flipped, again, it's all you still have the same amount of seat time and physical environment. Now, that leads to an interesting question is, are we overloading the students and are we doubling up when we're flipping? Where in, in my estimation, no. Because if you're truly flipping in the sense that you're taking the homework and bringing it into class and you're taking the lectures or whatever was traditionally done in class and putting it online, you're just inverting the whole sort of scheme and thus the seat time or the time on task is the same. Mm -hmm. So I think when Byron talked about that, he nailed it with... with that sort of discussion around seat time. Well, Otto, I'm wondering, you know, one of the things that I think all of us struggle with from a faculty standpoint is, you know, how do we make sure that students are engaged? And so right now with my flip model and I see them for all of the hours that I would, would conventionally see them, so either two days a week for 80 minutes or you know, four days a week for 55 minutes. But when, when we're doing it in, in this blended model and, and they're going to be home even more or working remotely even more, my concern is I'm going to have a much more difficult time knowing whether or not they're engaging in the material and won't have quite the same check and balance. And I was wondering, how would a faculty member deal with that? Well, I think that's a really good question. And um, I think it's a good thing that you already have experience in a flipped classroom. I think it might be harder for somebody who hasn't had the flipped experience to just jump into a hybrid or a blended course. Because it's, you can think about it as a progression, right? You can think about it as, um, well, now I'm at least comfortable with the technology. I'm comfortable with the types of technology that I want to use. But yeah, you're right. You're not going to have that face time with them anymore. So how do you keep them engaged? I think one of the things is um, really great technologies, and I know that you're 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 really interested in the um, in uh, the iPad and in mobile technologies and things like that. And so I think that that's that's good 
because whatever you do, I think it should be something that students kind of get excited about. Um, really rich media, really rich ex experiences of any kind, really rich video. It's really easy for anybody just to sit in front of a camera and make a video, right? But if you can make that video a little richer, a little more, you know, interesting, have some good music in it. Um, if it has that kind of value, I think that that's going to be huge. The other thing is the connection back to the face-to-face -face experience. Once you get them into the classroom, you've got to tie it back to everything that you just asked them to do online. And if you don't have that connection, I really think that you're going to be losing them. They're going to be like, why did I do all of that stuff online to begin with? Yeah, I think you nailed it. And I also think one of the things that faculty ask me about is what happens when the students don't engage with the material outside of class that they were supposed to do before class. And in my estimation, as the person not in front of the class and responsible for grading, is you kind of have to leave them behind and, mm -hmm. you know, help. You yeah. know, it's going, you're going to have maybe a class that suffers, but, you know, students a need student to know that. that suffers. Right. Yeah. Students need to know that they need to do that or they're not going to get anything out of class. Just like reading in an English yep. class, you're not right. going to be able to discuss the book. You need to engage with the materials prior to class. Um, and that's, I think, really tough because faculty are used to lecturing. Um, but when you do this kind of model and you take lecture out of the classroom, you can't just bring it back because students aren't doing it. You know. One thing that I've started doing that um, I just started this semester and I think it's working pretty well is I do basically a concept check um, once a week. So in this case, it would be the session that we would be live for. Um, and I tell them I need you to bring the top five <coughs> things that we talked about, that, that were talked about in the lectures that you did at home. And then they, in small groups, they get together and they, groups of four and they'll talk about what they think are the key things that came out of the lectures that they listened to. And then they actually develop their assessment question and we'll do a quiz. I actually put the quiz questions, they each post them to Twitter. Mm -hmm. And then I favorite the ones that I need them to take for the actual quiz assessment. And then they, um, they take, and then we get, it's kind of the launch point for our discussion for the day of the key topics that they bring up. And it's actually been um, fairly rare that they haven't been like right on target where it's been the key concepts that I wanted them to focus on. And, and when it is, that's a great lesson, too, to be able to come back and say, hey, you know, especially if they all come back and they don't have it, I'm like, well, what were you guys, where did this go wrong? And I, um, it kind of is an assessment for me, too, as to how effective it's been. You know, one thing that's, that's been challenging for me, and I, I've talked to you guys about this before, is the reception maybe outside of the community that I'm in of people who do do um, online learning and mm -hmm. who are engaged now in the flip class or working on blended learning and trying to get um, people to take that leap and say, hey, I'm willing to give up a little bit of classroom, um, that kind of accountability of students in front of you and, and give a little bit of the onus back to the students to start working. What have you guys been doing to try to cultivate a climate that, that faculty members would feel comfortable making the, the leap off the cliff and, and knowing they're going to kind of have a ground under them. So I work at a college and I'm, I support our faculty and we also have an instructional designer. So I think one of the, the comforts we tried to build is the fact that there is support here and there's support all the way from the, the top of the administration down. So if you have struggles, if you have problems, there are questions. But also if you feel like you need time or you're not comfortable teaching a class or you need some release time to kind of start get your bearings or do some professional development or something like that there's support for that and I think you know the faculty that I work with know that um, I don't think that's always the case but I think it's extremely important one of the things that we're doing right now what 
all four of us are doing right now is talking about what does it mean because I think it's really frustrating for a faculty member to say to hear all these different terms and be like what do they mean and so getting and, and getting that word out to our students too because you know I just had a situation the other day where I was actually in a class trying to um, show the lecture capture technology to the students and I, I was also tasked with telling them that it was really important that they watch the videos because some of them weren't watching the videos it was like guys in this type of format in this type of class but they didn't know it was going to be that kind of class before they got into it so I think just having that conversation and creating language and getting the word out about what these things mean is really important as well. So I have a question actually for you, Nicole, if I could turn this back to you just for a second. Um, what made you interested in online learning? It, you know, we have this confusion of these terms, so what made you even think that it was something that you might be interested in? That's a great question, and you know, I, I do have to thank Ohio State for that, and specifically Corey's Department of the Office of Distance Education and E-Learning. Um, you know, we had a, the opportunity to engage with iTunes U um, specifically and, and be trained on that, and um, it was one of those moments. It was a true eureka moment when I realized um, that really creating this kind of blended environment where students could engage with the material outside of class as often as they needed in whatever format they needed and that allowed me to free up class time to do things that were more engaging and I think brought the information more to life. It allowed them to customize their own learning experience that I really realized the benefit of um, how we could utilize technology in our classes. And I think one of the great gifts that I had was to be trained how to do it because I think a lot of people say oh you know this is like the key, this is the thing to do now so mm -hmm. I'm gonna try online learning and and they may get support from their department in the sense that they'll say well go right ahead but they don't really get a structure as to how to do it and, and here at Ohio State we've really made a concentrated effort to teach the teachers and that's allowed us to be able to go into the classroom with, with a much more stable foundation and really um, present to our students why and how it can work for them. Corey, because you're at this kind of higher level university-wide role, you have to navigate a lot of that. And, you know, obviously you don't have the resources to have people one-on-one -on -one partner and work with faculty and kind of mentor and things like that. But how do you kind of navigate training faculty to do innovative approaches to technology um, with kind of limited resources, time? And yep. And I think it's taking sort of combinations of what everybody has said. So Byron mentioned having instructional designers and doing more of the personalized support. And we do some of that. But it's scalable at a large-scale university, that's not possible. No one has the time, um, the money, uh, the manpower to do something like that. So when you're thinking about it, what can we sort of flip it on our own? Is sort of how can I take my workshops, my support, my trainings, anything we're doing, how can I capture that and put it online as well? So when, when Nicole was fortunate enough to work with us at an iTunes U boot camp, before the boot camp, before we even had the event, we were sending her resources on how to use the tool. So trying to train her without even really virtually and almost doing an online class before we even have the sort of face-to-face -face contact hours to actually design the course and do the uploading of materials and even shooting the videos. But how can I train her to shoot her own videos. How can I train her to use explain everything? So it's really thinking about scale um, because we want to offer the personalized sort of one to one. But how do you do that without actually assigning one person to 10,000 faculty 
or sign 10,000 people to 10,000 faculty. So it's a matter of thinking about scale, putting resources online, developing good training guides, offering workshops that are flexible, that people can go at multiple hours that aren't always the same day or in the same location, and, and just really trying to get the word out. The other amazingly crucial part of it, and this goes, I think, a little bit to Autumn's point, is finding those sort of bleeding edge faculty that are willing to try. People like Nicole, people like at Ohio State, Matthew Stoltz-Foos, uh, Rick Pogue, uh, some of these people that jumped on iTunes U, saw the mechanism for easy creation of things like podcasts of lectures or small video clips of working chemistry problems or whatever, and, and used them as our examples because faculty love hearing from other faculty. It's I'm not faculty currently at OSU, so my voice only goes a certain way. But when they hear it from Nicole or they hear it from Stoltz-Foos or they hear it from a visiting scholar or hear it from Eric Mazur or whoever the case may be, when they start hearing it from their own faculty, then it starts to click a little bit. Then when people like myself and people higher up start talking about access and affordability and some of these other things, then they start to see a little bit, hopefully more a little bit the human side of it too, because that that's definitely one element in all of these things is that hopefully flipped, blended, hybrid, online, all these good things are giving more opportunities for our students because more and more our students are having to work their way through college rather than coming to college. And hopefully we're educating them more on what student loan debt really looks like and means so they're not just running up higher bills and higher bills and having to pay them off for the rest of their lives. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there, but using the faculty voice, using workshops, thinking about scale, um, and then bringing the human element that ultimately this is to better our student experience, hopefully will capture uh, a broad audience. I can't tell you how helpful this has been, um, and I, I'm sure that other people are going to appreciate it. So I'm going to ask you to, to dig deep just for one more thing. So I'm going to start working on this uh, later this week. What's one last piece of advice you guys could give me before I get started? So I think one thing that you need to uh, think about is how you're going to record your lectures. So keep them short, keep them um, editable or replaceable. So if you teach this course again, you can, you know, replace an eight minute chunk here, there, whatever, but keep, you know, maybe two thirds of your lectures um, from one semester to the next. Uh, don't refer to current dates, that sort of thing, but keep them short, keep them focused, keep them topical. And I think that is a lot easier for students. And it's also going to be a lot easier for you as you teach the course again. That's great advice. Ask yourself, what do you want your students to remember from this course a year from now, five years from now? Um, go back to your learning objectives and, um, you know, utilize your knowledge from your flipped experience as far as the technology goes and figure out what experiences are best um, going to be delivered to them online and which ones would be best face-to-face. -face. Great. And I would 100% agree with both Byron and Autumn and so I won't give you a last tip. What I would say right now in our landscape, and this is just my opinion, and I think some of the things we've talked about have really fleshed this out a little bit, that currently hybrid slash blended is the best form of technology enhanced courses at higher education and in K-12 for that matter. Because currently online learning does have, 100% online learning or distance education has its own issues. It can be done and it can be done well. Absolutely. But as a huge amount of investment, both by the university, the person, the students, 
to make it work and to make it real and make it legitimate. Blended and hybrid though, because it takes elements to back to Byron's point, take the, the things that can be done online well and do them there. Take the really important things that can be done face-to-face -face or need to be done face-to-face -face and do it there and blur those together into that smoothie and make the best student learning experience. And right now with the technology we have, blended hybrid is the best technology enhanced approach. That doesn't mean it will always be. There will be new technologies, new developments, new innovations from people like yourselves and people out there that are hopefully listening that will change everything and 100% online will, could be the greatest thing ever. But right now with where we are and the access to technologies that students have, it, blended and hybrid is, is a very amazing step forward and increases the opportunities for our students and our universities to be successful. All right, well, I'll let everybody know how it goes. And uh, in the meantime, we hope that you will continue to tune in to the Higher Ed Tech podcast, which is available at, Byron? edtech.fm, also in iTunes. Make sure you uh, rate us if you like us. And follow us on Twitter at higher underscore ed underscore tech. Have a great week, and we will talk with you soon. Thank you.